Good afternoon and welcome back, Memorial Baptist friends and family. Welcome to our midweek podcast and update for Memorial Baptist Church. Coming up, we're going to continue our study in the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. But first, I'd like to give you a little update on how we are ministering here at Memorial. You know, this week is called the Holy Week, the week we celebrate and remember through Good Friday the Passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This Sunday will be Easter Sunday, April 12th, our Lord's Resurrection Day. (laughs) He is risen. We are planning on sharing in the Lord's Supper on Easter Sunday morning during our worship time. I'm asking each of you to gather the elements of communion for those who will be watching with you in your homes or from your devices. So as you prepare to participate in worship on Easter morning, don't forget to have your bread and juice ready to participate in communion. If you can't get a hold of some grape juice, then use apple juice or some other juice. If you don't have some bread, use a cracker. But please prepare for worship, and we will look forward to participating in communion together on Easter. You know, recently our college minister Braden Tanner. He launched our NBC Temple YouTube channel as well as an Instagram page. Please go to that site and subscribe and make sure you turn on your notifications and your device will alert you when we have something new posted. Braden has been doing a stellar job of creating channels for us and getting things situated so that we can all receive and participate on Sunday morning. Thank you, Braden, so much for what you're doing. Kyle and Macy Tanner continue to do a great job each week, leading us in worship on Sundays. Thank you, Kyle and Macy, for maintaining excellence in ministry. Sure do love you guys. Thank you, Casey Jumper, for the kids' worship and digital ministry for our children and their families during this time when everyone is sheltering in and staying at home. I thoroughly enjoyed participating in the children's story time by reading the wonky donkey to the children. Oh man, that was a hoot. Jeff Watts has spent many hours watching and editing video before we post it. Jeff has also been busy running some errands for some of our senior adults. Thank you, Jeff, for your selfless service, your diligence, and not the least, your patience. Lori Deaver has been keeping our office operational, making sure the office is open each morning, as well as organizing and doing some extra cleaning. So thank you, Lori. We sure appreciate your efforts. You know, every one of our Memorial Baptist Church staff is working hard and doing things necessary to continue to see our church move forward in the kingdom. Right now, and even beyond this crisis, You can be proud of each one of them and the contribution and commitment that they are to Memorial Baptist Church. You see, it's our teamwork that makes the dream work. So during these uncertain days, I just want to challenge you to to be obedient to whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Um, Let me give you an example of what that might look like. Uh, Last week, uh, Steve Hubbard texted me and um, mentioned that he felt like we might need to do something along the lines of a drive-through prayer ministry where someone could stop and, and, and 
we could pray over them. And so uh, I told Steve, I said, Steve, you need to be obedient to whatever the Lord's putting on your heart. And uh, he uh, got some signs put together to put out in the, the yard of the church. He's parked in the parking lot in the afternoons, ready to pray with people who are on their commute home or are out for some reason. And uh, him and Bill Blankenship have been out in the afternoons. Uh, and they're really inviting uh, you, if you want to volunteer and be a part of that, uh, I would just say contact Steve Hubbard and uh, let him know that you would like to volunteer to, to pray with people, and uh, you can be a part of that ministry. But that's one way that uh, we are being obedient to what the Lord is asking us to do. Now, speaking of contributions, obviously, Memorial is not able to meet corporately and on a weekly basis. And our income through our tithes and offerings has fallen off quite a bit. And we've not been meeting our budget needs. Now granted, we're spending less because we're not utilizing our building as much and we're not making many purchases these days. And we're cutting back in every place we possibly can. However, we still have financial needs to keep our full-time staff employed. Memorial needs your love and your care now more than ever. I want to give you quickly six ways that you can give to Memorial Baptist Church. First, you can mail a check directly to the church. Just drop it in the mail, write your check out, drop it in the mail. Secondly, you can drop off a check at the church. The church office is open. You can drop off a check. Um, you can also give online through our website. If you go to our website, www dot memorial church dot us you can click on the the giving tab and and be able to give that way you can also give through our church app and if you go to the app store and download the church app uh, find memorial baptist church on there and you will be able to give through that app um, also you can call uh, the church on monday mornings if you want to um, with your debit card in hand and give your information to our treasurer, Joel Shoemate, or our co-treasurer, Melinda Greger, knowing that we will discard the information safely and promptly after doing as you wish. Lastly, I would say you could also text to give. Uh, the number is 84321, and you can text whatever amount that you want to give, and it will go through the prompts and take you uh, in how to accomplish that. But uh, there's six ways that you can give uh, to your church, even though we are in a um, shelter-in uh, kind of uh, recommendation. I would like for us to spend just a few moments, if you might, just to bow your head with me, and uh, I would like to lead us in prayer. Um, we serve an awesome God, a mighty God, um, who loves the souls of men and women. And I just want to lift up and pray for some of them today. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Loving Father, I want to thank you uh, for the holy week that you've given us. A week when we can celebrate um, the, the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we can mark the time and talk about Palm Sunday and talk about uh, Good Friday and His sacrifice for us, His death on the cross. Um, and Father, looking forward to uh, the resurrection, um, knowing that He came 
alive out of the tomb. And Father, that uh, that, the same power that raises Jesus from the grave will raise us on that day. Father, we are so thankful for our salvation. We're thankful for the salvation of our souls. We're thankful for all that you have done for us. We thank you that you have given us the Comforter, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, We thank you, Father, that the, the Spirit is our guide and our teacher and leads us into all truth. And Father, that even as we talk, even as we discuss things, uh, our spirits identify. uh, The Holy Spirit in me identifies with the Holy Spirit in someone else. And uh, it it is confirmed, the truth of your word is confirmed through that. Um, Father, I'm thankful to you for our church family. Thank you for establishing the church. Um, I don't know how people make it, Lord, without a church family. But God, I am thankful for the church family that you have given me. Lord, I'm thankful for our homebound and for our senior adults. I just lift up seniors like Dr. Edna Bridges and her husband, Bobby. I know they're going through a tough time. So Father, I pray for them and I lift them before you. I pray that you would be with them a special way. I lift up Alice Collins to you, Lord. Father, that you would just hold her in your arms, that you would just touch her. Thank you, Father, for people in our community that have been part of this church for so very long. Father, I thank you for our seniors. Father, we love you and we love them. Lord, I want to thank you for my wife. I want to thank you for the marriages in our church. Thank you for instituting marriage as a covenant. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our families and our children. Oh, what joy, our children and grandchildren. Father, we are so blessed. Thank you, Father, for the opportunities you give us to to minister to others, to, to be your hands and feet. Father, whether it's encouraging someone through a text or a card or on the phone or connecting with them or helping them get groceries or, or Father, even something as basic as toilet paper. We just thank you, Father, for allowing us to be able to help others get the things that they need to, to get through the day. So, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be your hands and feet. Lord, I thank you for the amazing staff that that you've given us to work with. Oh, what a blessing each of these are. Father, to our church and to me. Father, I just want to lift up the souls in, in our area that don't know you. Father, they might be in our own homes. It might be a husband. It might be a wife. It might be a son or a daughter. It might be a neighbor. It might be a coworker. It might be somebody else that we know, a friend, Father, that does not know you in a personal way. So, Father, I pray that during these times of uncertainty, during these times of, of crisis, during this Easter season, Father, that we would reach out to the the people in our contacts and in our our phone books. And Father, that, that we would pray for the salvation of their souls. Father, we lift them up before you. I pray for a great awakening. I ask God that you would shake our hearts. Father, that we would desire what you desire. 
Father, I pray that you would push back the darkness. Father, I ask that you would push back the sickness and the the effects of this coronavirus. Father, I pray for our our frontline health workers, those that are that are in danger, those that are taking care of the sick. I pray for our doctors and our nurses and our technicians and Father, the supply uh, line uh, people that, that are in harm's way. Father, for our first responders, I just lift up our, our firemen, our EMTs, our policemen. Father, all of the, the people that are making decisions in our government. Father, we lift them before you knowing that, that Father, you would use each of these to help push back the darkness, push back the disease. Father, I pray that you would push back the enemy, that the, the, the devil, our, our adversary, would, would, would no longer have his way in, in our areas, but Father, that we would, we would give those to you, and Father, that you would reign in those areas. Father, I pray that you would help us through our distresses, Father, through the brokenheartedness, through the, the separation, and the isolation when we long for human relationship, I pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to be what you call us to be. Help us to guide others to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would please give us wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. Father, thank you. Thank you for being at work all around us, all the time. And Lord, we're going to be very careful to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for all that you do. We love you, Father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Switching gears, we're going to now dive into our continuing study through the Bible um, in the book of Hebrews. You remember our outline from last week's podcast. The outline went like this. Um, In in, uh, the first few verses of chapter 2, it talks about so that we don't drift away. Um, And then from verses 5 to 9, but we see Jesus. And then verses 10 through 18 talk about the captain of our salvation. You know, I came to realize a long time ago that ideas drive the world. Karl Marx had some ideas about politics and the economy called communism that held millions under its sway for the better part of the 20th century. Over a billion Chinese people are still under that ideology. Quite often, the person in the street is unaware of the philosophic underpinnings for their behavior but they are still very much influenced by certain prevailing philosophies and ideas. For example, the teenager who dresses in black, mutilates his body, and listens constantly to music that exalts death probably has not read any books on the philosophy of nihilism, but it controls his thought patterns and behavior. Millions of Americans could not articulate the philosophy of postmodernism, but it governs their daily lives. Wrong ideas can have devastating effects. That's why I am committed to sound doctrine. 
Our ideas about God, man, sin, and salvation greatly affect the way we think, feel, act, and relate to one another. Sound doctrine produces healthy minds, healthy hearts, and healthy relationships. False doctrine results in wounded minds and wounded hearts and wounded relationships. The heart of today's study is family. But the heart of today's study is also dealing with the fear of death, which naturally is characteristic as we journey through life. Let's put this in perspective. We are seeing the author of the book of Hebrews write a letter to some Jewish Christians who are contemplating going back under the law, the law of Moses, because it's a lot more comfortable and they won't have to suffer persecution anymore. It seems like this is the best choice to make in order to have some semblance of peace and happiness in their lives. I like how Warren Wiersbe titles these verses, verses 10 through 18 in chapter 2 of Hebrews. He entitles them, Trust Him. Trust Him. Persons who trust Christ are God's children on their way to glory. The Redeemer has defeated death and the devil, and He understands how His people feel as they face the temptations and trials of life. When you come to Him by faith, you come to a sympathetic high priest who can meet your every need. Trust Him. Let me read out of chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 10 through 18. If you want to open your scripture and follow along, we'll be here for the duration of this podcast. Chapter 2, verse 10 and following. It says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook in the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, 
he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The captain of our salvation. The plain and necessary implication of this title is that we are passing through a country full of difficulties, of dangers, of oppositions, just like Israel did in the wilderness on their way to the promised inheritance. So that we need a captain, we need a guide, we need a leader to carry us safely through. Listen, as the captain of our salvation, Jesus became man, a man, in order to bring us to God. You know, some thought and maybe still think that the concept of a suffering Savior, uh, a suffering Savior God, as a completely unacceptable and even inappropriate way to regard God. Paul said it this way, he said, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1, 23. Here, the author of Hebrew writes, it was fitting for him. It was fitting for him. John MacArthur, pastor, says it was consistent with his love in that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son for its redemption. Finally, what he did was consistent with his grace because Christ's sacrifice was substitutionary. The work of salvation was totally consistent with God's nature. It was entirely fitting for him to have done what he did. It was fitting means that God did through Jesus Christ, that what he did through Jesus Christ was consistent with his character. It was consistent with God's wisdom. The cross was a masterpiece of wisdom. God solved the problem which no human or angelic mind could have solved. What he did was also consistent with his holiness, for God showed on the cross his hatred, his absolute hatred for sin. It was consistent with his power being the greatest display of power ever manifested. Christ endured for a few hours what will take an eternity for unrepentant sinners to endure. Wow. See, I believe that verse 10 is the key to the rest of these verses. When he says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author, the captain, the guide of their salvation through sufferings. He's referring to Jesus there. He's the captain. He's the author. He's the the guide. Alexander McLaren said, Creation was done with a word, a spoken word, and voila, there it was and is. But his speech wasn't enough to affect salvation, it took not a word, but it took the word with a capital W. God's Son, 
in the flesh, incarnate, who was humiliated, who suffered, who died, who was resurrected and ascended and is interceding now at the right hand of God. See, the path of sorrow and that path alone leads us to the land where sorrow is unknown. Do you remember the scene in Captain Phillips when the Somalian muse first hijacks the Maersk, Alabama cargo ship? Muse asks the question, he says, where's the crew? And Captain Richard Phillips, he says, I don't know. I don't know. I'm here with you. And Muse, over the ship's intercom, says, in one minute, I will kill all your friends. He says, where is your crew? To Captain Richard Phillips. And Richard Phillips says, I don't know. I am the captain. If you're going to shoot somebody, then shoot me. Muse says, relax, everything's going to be okay. He says, look at me. Captain Richard Phillips says, sure. Muse says, look at me. Captain Richard Phillips says, sure. Muse says, I'm the captain now. I ask you this question, are you the captain of your own ship? Or have you surrendered it to Jesus? Have you surrendered it and then took it back? This scripture says that he is the author, he is the captain of our salvation You know, many translations say leader or author or founder or hero, captain, champion, pioneer. In Greek writings, it was used of a hero who founded a city, gave it its name and became its guardian. The messianic name that was prophesied of the Christ, mighty God, in Isaiah 9, 6, or in Hebrew, El Gabor, pictures God as a warrior and a champion. Literally, the mighty hero God. Also used as the head of a family or the founder of a philosophical school. The term also had a distinct military connotation, referring to a commander of an army who went ahead of his men and blazed a trail for them. See, the idea here is of a leader who opens up a new way. Think of a pioneer who blazed the trail of salvation that we can now follow. You know, it's kind of like a SWAT team or military personnel that's clearing houses. You know, the first man through the door. You know, that doorway is also known as the the, the fatal funnel. The first guy through the door is obviously uh, the most in the most danger and the most dangerous. But that's the point. Jesus did exactly that. He knowingly and willingly became the lead man and took the bullet so that we 
might be spared. And I asked the question, did Satan ever have the power of death? He sure didn't. I mean, in Job chapter 1, verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Satan, through the sin in the garden, brings about man's spiritual death, but cannot bring about physical death. Here's the doctrine. Jesus became man. Jesus became humanity to save us. He came here to earth to become a man to save us. There are three points here that I I want to point out to you. The first one is that as a man, Jesus' death secured our salvation. Verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. He's from our Father, we're from our Father. He came as a man so that he might secure our salvation. My second point is this, is that Jesus' humanity is so complete that he's not ashamed to call us brethren, to call us brothers. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. See, as our brother, Jesus proclaims God's name to us. That's found in verse 12. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. As our brother also, Jesus shows us practically how to trust God in the midst of trials. Look at verse 13. I will put my trust in him. I will put my trust in the Father. And as our brother... Jesus is the Son of God, and therefore we are God's children. The second half of verse 13 says, And behold, I and the children whom God has given me. So the third point here is that Jesus' humanity and victory over death frees us from the power and fear of death. The application is this. The fact that Jesus became man to save us should cause us to draw near to him in times of trial and to proclaim his name even in the face of persecution. Remember, the book of Hebrews was written to a suffering church that was facing persecution. They were tempted to give up their profession of Christ and retreat to their old, more comfortable ways. But the author is showing them the excellency and supremacy of Jesus Christ. So as to say, you can't go back. You cannot go back. If Jesus is eternal God who took on human flesh to die, 
for your salvation, you can't turn back to your other belief system, to any other belief system. He's God's final word to us. He entered glory only after suffering, and you must be prepared to follow the same path. If we were to go out on the streets and ask people at random, what is your greatest need? We would probably hear a number of responses. Some people might say, well, my greatest need right now is to get a job. I can't pay my bills and get out of debt in my current situation. Other folks might say, well, my greatest need is that I'm lonely. I need a mate or some good friends. Yet others might say, well, my family's a war zone. My husband is abusive towards the kids and me. The kids are defiant and disrespectful. We need peace in our home. You know, we could go to another country, maybe a poor country like India or Bangladesh, and answer to our question would center more on raw survival. I mean, they might say, I'm starving. I need food. I'm dying of disease. Maybe that's treatable and I can't get the proper medicine. Or I live on the streets and I need a roof over my head. See, without denying the legitimacy of any of those needs, according to the Bible, the people giving those answers are blind to their greatest need. Their greatest need is for God to forgive their sins and give them eternal life. They need to learn how to live in accordance with God's word so that their lives bring glory to him. See, without this focus, we could meet all the perceived needs, but their greatest need would go unmet. If they were to die, they would spend eternity in hell. You know, last week, we talked about drifting. And another way to keep people from drifting is to keep them anchored. We read in verses 16, 17, and 18 of this chapter, we read and we we come across big words like propitiation. Now, I want to explain that. Propitiation, if we talk about man being reconciled to God, we use two words usually. One is called expiation and one is called propitiation. Propitiation emphasizes the appeasement of God's wrath and justice. In other words, averting the wrath of God, uh, fulfilling His justice. The word expiation emphasizes the removal of guilt, basically covering over, if you will, through a payment of the penalty so that the holiness of God is satisfied. Oh, precious Jesus, made in every way like man, and so merciful has suffered and is now able to aid us. He was tempted in the very same sins into which we fall. See, it is a dark room 
which you are going through, but Jesus went through it before. It's a hard fight which you are waging, but Jesus stood toe-to-toe with the same enemy. The blood-stained footsteps of the King of glory may be seen along the road which we walk this hour. See, Jesus became a man so that as our high priest, He could offer Himself for our sins and come to our aid when we are tempted. The writer of Hebrews makes three more points before the end of the chapter in these three verses. Point number one is that Jesus became a man, a human, not an angel, because he came to save men or people. That's what it says in verse 16. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant, the seed of Abraham, to people. Point number two, Jesus became fully human for a specific purpose, to become a high priest, to offer himself for our sins. That's what verse 17, I mean, it itself makes three more statements. The first one being that Jesus became fully human for a specific purpose, that Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, and that Jesus' offering of himself on the cross satisfied God's wrath for our sin. See, he became fully human to make propitiation for the sins of people, to be that appeasement of God's wrath and justice. The NIV translates it as atonement, the, the Revised Standard Version as expiation. Atonement and expiation refer to the cancellation of sin, whereas propitiation refers to the turning away of God's wrath. John Owen pointed out that there are four elements in propitiation, and I think these are very good. I'm going to get back to my third point in just a little bit. John Owen pointed out these four elements. He said, number one is an offense or a crime has to be taken away. Secondly, a person offended to be pacified or reconciled. The third is a person offending to be pardoned. And the fourth one is a sacrifice or other means of making atonement. Four elements that go to into propitiation. The offense or crime has to be taken away. The person offended has to be reconciled. The person offending has to be pardoned. And there has to be a sacrifice or other means of making atonement. Those are the four parts of a propitiation. Listen, I understand the notion of God's wrath is not popular. Seeker and user-friendly churches don't mention it. Liberals argue it has you know, that it was borrowed from the pagan idea of appeasing an angry little g God with a sacrifice. But I want you to know something. The notion, the, the, the statement of God's wrath occurs no less than 585 times in the Old Testament and more than 30 times in the New Testament. And Jesus often spoke in frightful terms 
about the future judgment. Just like in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus said, For their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. My third point is this, is that because Jesus became a man, He is able to come to our aid when we are tempted. I love that. So what is your greatest need? I hope that you see that your greatest need is to be reconciled to the one true and holy God. Have you come to Jesus in faith that He is your propitiation, the one who bore the penalty that you deserve? If not, the wrath of God abides on you. Do not rest until your faith is in Jesus as your high priest. If you do know him as your high priest, are you crying out to him for help when you are tempted? Do you know from experience the consistent deliverance from sin that is yours in Christ? He's your merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He is able to come to your aid when you are tempted. Hopefully now you understand the flow thought in this text. So how should we apply these verses practically? First, I want to say this. We should not let present trials cause us to neglect our great salvation because one day we shall reign with Christ. In other words, we need to develop and maintain the eternal perspective of our glorious destiny in Christ so that we can endure joyfully our present trials. If Jesus had to suffer first and then enter his glory, well, so do we. God used suffering to perfect his son, and he does so with us. Our future destiny is that we will reign with Christ, (laughs) not for a few years, but throughout eternity. Our knowledge of that should enable us to endure present hardships and trials. We should live as set apart to Christ because we look ahead to our glorious destiny. Secondly, I would say, by faith, we should see Jesus and marvel at what he did for us and that we are now in him. He left the splendor of heaven and not only took on human flesh, but he also went to the cross on our, yours and mine, our behalf. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Listen, that is why our Lord ordained communion so that we would remember him and what he did on the cross for us. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul daily saw Jesus, who endured the cross on his behalf. And he saw himself in Christ so that all the benefits of Christ's death applied to him. 
That's how we should live each day. And third, if you feel weak, despised, or insignificant in this evil world, take courage, because in Christ we are more than conquerors. Although it may seem difficult to wrap our minds around, in the ages to come, we will reign with Christ in his kingdom. It doesn't really matter what the world thinks of you. What matters is what God thinks of you. If you've trusted Christ as the one who bore your sins on the cross, then God has imputed his righteousness to you. You are purified from your sins. You can know that although you may seem just like a speck on this planet, which seems just like a speck in this gigantic universe, God cares for you and about you and has a purpose for your life. That purpose is larger than the short life we have in this body, and it extends through eternity in our glorified bodies that we will receive when Christ returns. But here's a final truth that may apply to some people. If you are not in Christ, you should greatly fear. Though he is now despised and ignored by millions around the world, the day is coming when they will cry out for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. He is that chief cornerstone which the builders rejected. If you build your life on him, you will find a sure foundation for every storm in life. But if that stone falls on you, it will shatter you like dust. Psalm 2, verse 12, says, Do homage to the Son, that he may not become angry, and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. May that be each one of us that can hear my voice right now. May we take our refuge in him. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to proclaim the name of of Jesus this Easter season as we prepare for Easter. Don't forget to prepare the elements. Get your bread, get your grape juice, get it ready. We're going to participate together on Sunday. And I hope that each one of you have a blessed Resurrection Day celebration of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God bless you. I love you. And God loves you.